It's the last book, a chapter in the book of Judges tonight. A couple of announcements. Uh, this will be an announcement. Uh, next Sunday night, uh, the Mattingly family is going to be here. And I'm kind of looking forward to their daughters singing with their mom and their dad. And uh, they're going to be here next Sunday night. There's been so much going on around here, it's hard to keep up with it all. Just show up and you'll find out what's happening. Amen. It's kind of the way to do it. Uh, the last chapter of the book of Judges, that I'll be using this just as an announcement, and then we're going to go back to first, uh, <clears throat> we'll be going to first Samuel chapter 25 for the message, but this announcement that I'm going to make, I thought I would just use the Bible as a basis for the announcement. Uh, if you go to Judges chapter 21, <clears throat> and uh, verse number, uh, oh, let's go to verse number um, 16, verse number 16, then the elders of the congregation said, how shall we do for wives for them that remain, seeing the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? And they said, there must be an inheritance for them that be escaped of Benjamin, or that a tribe be not destroyed out of Israel. Howbeit we may not give them wives of our daughters for the children of Israel, sworn, saying, cursed be the wife of Benjamin. Then they said, behold, there's a feast of the Lord in Shiloh yearly in a place which is on the north side of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goeth up from Bethel to Shechem, and on the south of Lebanon. I pronounce that for sure, Lebona. Therefore they commanded the children of Benjamin, saying, go and lie in wait in the vineyards. And see, and, and behold, if the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance and dance, then come ye out of the vineyards and catch you every man his wife of the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. And it shall be, what are you all laughing about? It shall be when their fathers or their brethren come unto us and complain, to complain, we shall say unto them, be favorable unto them for our sakes, because we reserve not to each man his wife in the war, for ye did not give them unto them at this time that should be guilty. And the children of Benjamin did so and took wives according to their number of them that danced whom they caught. Now, Next Sunday night, we're having a dance down here in the tabernacle. <laughs> the girls are all going to be dancing up the tabernacle. And you boys are supposed to go off down there in the brush. Hide. And uh, when the girls are just kind of having a good time forgetting, you come rushing out of there and pick you out a wife and grab her and run off with her. <laughs> and I'll take... <laughs> Danny started this. <laughs> And when the, when the daddy's come and mom's come, I'll just say, listen, listen, we, we just need to have these young people get all hooked up, so let's let them, let them alone. Amen. So anyway, huh? Bring my shot. Bring my shot. <laughs> 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 Woo! Man, I'm telling you what. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine that scene? It's, uh, when Danny and, and Ramona pulled that deal off, my mind went to, it's been on my mind ever since. He's like them guys running out there and catching a wife. And uh, man, can you imagine that scene? They're, you know, they're down there and they're having this dance, you know, and stuff. And all of a sudden these guys come running out of the bushes. And all them girls act like they was trying to run, but they wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. <laughs> oh, goodness. Is this online? <laughs> You folks online, we're not really this crazy. It's just living down here in hillbilly land. You do it. You have got to develop your own fun. Amen. All right. Let's take our Bibles to 1 Samuel 25. And so next Sunday night, this will start at seven. Girls be here on time. <laughs> I promise you the boys will already be there. <laughs> They'll be down there with their tennis shoes on. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> man, oh man, I'll tell you what, I'm glad we can have a little fun in the house of God, amen. amen. I thought I thought they're singing, uh, people, uh, boy, we got here seeing the, the young people up here singing, just such a blessing, and uh, when we singing together as a congregation, and, and precious memories, and where we'll never grow old, and I thought, you know, who in the world besides the church gets to do this kind of thing? They're, they're not doing this at the bar tonight. They're not even doing it at the ball game. Boy, what a wonderful time we're having in the Lord. And I, I appreciate it. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to read the chapter again from this morning, but 
just to rehearse what it's about there in 1 Samuel 25, uh, David again is on the run. He's hiding from Saul and he is living out in the wilderness and in caves and so forth with his 600 men. And um, Saul is chasing him. And David has been anointed king already, but he's not been emplaced as king. Uh, did you know that Jesus Christ has been anointed king of this earth, but he is not emplaced yet, but he will be. And so this whole thing is that David is a picture of Jesus Christ. His exile is a picture of Christ uh, gone from the earth, but coming back in power and glory to take the throne of David, his father. And so it's a picture of that. Now tonight, what I want to preach on is why God called Nabal a fool. I want to preach on a manhood, a husband's uh, men in general. And I will tell you, I was just telling Brother Robert a while ago, the countries across the world are looking at us and they see us as a dying nation. I don't, that's the honest truth. In fact, there was a, there was a big um, picture that came across uh, social media this week from overseas. And it, had a, it was a picture of the Statue of Liberty with water up to her chin. Saying America is getting ready to go under. And people understand that God... Uh, God, you know, even if they don't understand, they understand that God has to judge a nation like us. And historically, God's always judged nations. Now, one of the things that I think is important for you and I to do is how do we live in a day like we are? Jesus said it was as it was in the days of Lot, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, as it was in the days of Noah. So it would be in the days when he comes back. We're there. But how do we live in those days? Well, we go back to the Bible and we look at, at uh, Abraham, how he lived in the day of Lot. And it'll tell you about it. By, by the way, People are doing it. Just to be honest with you, uh, today I had a conversation with somebody. People are moving out of these cities. They're moving away from this garbage. They're wanting to get someplace where they're like-minded people. It's happening right here in the Ozarks. And I want to tell you all something. Uh, I'm so appreciative of the many people who have moved in this area. But you be strong and help us continue to make this place a place of refuge for people who uh, are of faith. And we're, you know, I mean... Uh, I had, uh, I've had preachers tell me from California, Reggie, if I preached what you'd preached, I'd be in jail or we would have riots at our church. Yeah. If we published things that you've published, they would firebomb our church. Uh, so forth. But let me tell you uh, what, back when I first started preaching, a man preached and I heard him say the statement. He said, there'll never be a revival in America until there's a revival of biblical manhood. Amen. And then that's a fact. And the reason we're where we're at is because of the condition that man, manhood, got it, biblical manhood deteriorated in this nation. And so I want to preach tonight on why God called Nabal a fool. God called him a fool. But let's just read for a little while. There was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel. The man was very great. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal. The name of his wife, Abigail. She was a woman of good understanding, a beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish and evil. Guys, you might want to put this up just for folks that might not have brought their Bible. And evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. <clears throat> and David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. And David sent out ten young men. David said unto the young men, Get you up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus shall ye say to him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be to both thee, and peace be to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. This is a message of peace from David to Nabal. And now I've heard that thou hast shears. Now thy shepherds which were with us, we hurt them not. Neither was there aught missing unto them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask the young men and they will show thee. Therefore let the young men find favor in thine eyes. For we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants and to thy son David. And when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and ceased. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, and you can just see and hear the sarcasm and the mockery that's in this man's statement. Who is David? He knew, I'm going to tell you, there was nobody in Israel didn't know who David was. Yeah. David had killed Goliath. There was nobody in Israel, much less the Philistines and everybody else, that did not know who David was. But he had a bad attitude, and he said, who's the son of Jesse? Well, if he knew his dad's name, he knew all, he, he knew, he knew, he knew all about it. But being sarcastic and so forth. And he said, there be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I've killed from my shears and give it to unto men whom I know not which they be? And of course, after that, David's young men left. They went up and told David the story. And David, in anger and in vengeance, <clears throat> and there's a whole message in this chapter about vengeance. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I'll repay. If somebody's really done you dirty, it'd do you well to meditate upon this chapter because Abigail, uh, uh, there's so much, she's a picture of the church 
and she is, God used her in keeping David from exercising personal vengeance. And in the New Testament, God says that vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. God don't lie about that. He's not kidding you. You say, well, they'll get there someday. Yes, they will. God will exercise vengeance upon those who did wrong. But uh, there's just so many things. By the way, just one, well, Lord, help me to preach. I need your help to get lined out tonight. We're going down to, uh, through there, and Abigail, of course, makes this trip to David. Where she, and, and I want to say this. There's a whole other message on how to make an appeal. Every woman, every wife would be so wise to study Abigail's appeal to David. Every man would be wise because we all need to learn how to make appeals to those in authority. And this woman, God records the unbelievable understanding she had of how to make an appeal to a person that's angry, to a person who has authority to do damage and help keep a lot of damage from being done. Truth about it is, Many a mother has done what Abigail did to a churlish husband to keep her husband from doing something very stupid and damaging to the home and to the family. This is not an unusual situation. But to pick the story back up where I want to go tonight with this is uh, verse 36. Uh, When she comes back from talking to David, Abigail came to Nabal and behold, he held a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken. Wherefore, she told him nothing less or more until the morning light. And it came to pass in the morning that when the wine was gone out of Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became uh, as a stone. And it came to pass about ten days after that the Lord smote Nabal, and he died. And, of course, you know, after he died, then uh, uh, David asked for her hand in marriage, and she became, we preached on that this morning. Lord, I pray tonight, help me to preach this message in a way that be clear and understandable to the smallest child. I pray, help me to uh, give the gospel through it. Help us to see the gospel in it. Lord, help us to understand the ways of God in it. But Lord, I pray particularly tonight for us that are men, that we would learn from this Heavenly Father that, Lord, uh, terrible things happen to men who forget their heritage and who, uh, Lord, leave their spiritual heritage and who do not carry the spiritual banner of, of the biblical manhood. So, Lord, help me tonight, clear my mind and my thought, and just help me, God, to preach as unto you. And, Lord, I pray for Jesus Christ's glory's sake. Amen. Uh, I want to say first of all tonight, number one, the reason he called him a fool was he relished in materialism. There is probably not anything that's hurting manhood more in America than the idea you're not a man if you haven't been successful financially. Can I say to all of us men tonight, worldly success financially is not a measure of your manhood. Yes, you should provide for your family. You should uh, protect your family uh, and so forth. But I want to tell you something. Just as women are uh, pressured to look beautiful and be Hollywoodish and, you know, all this kind of thing, compare themselves among themselves. And it's a lot of pressure on young girls because, you know, it's kind of like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Men have a pressure on materialism on them that they're supposed to be able to prove their manhood. Their materialism is some kind of proof of their manhood. And I want to tell you tonight, that's a misconception. It's wrong biblically. Uh, the Bible speaks of the fact that it's better to be poor and know the Lord and, and serve the Lord than to be rich and get away. And God warns about being rich and the damage that had done, but he relished in his materialism. Fuel watched his face was constantly about how great he was and how much he had and all this stuff. And then what, how he feasted in it and so forth. Actually, in verse number two, you see it there. In verse number two, uh, his possessions were in I'm going to tell you something. Being uh, manhood, being materialistic. Uh, uh, right now, there's a guy in the news that's uh, they say he's the richest guy in the world. I don't know whether he's not, but Elon Musk, whatever the name like that. And I'm going to tell you, him, his being rich does not make him a man. And if you study the lives of a lot of these guys that got materialistic, their lives are really a train wreck. They're just an absolute train wreck. I mean, uh, you know, much as I've appreciated what uh, Donald Trump has done in some ways for the, for the country when he's president, in a, in a sense, his personal life's a lot of his train wreck. I will say this to them, to, about him, though. His children seem to respect him and honor him. So there's a lot of good things, but I'm telling you this, having a lot of wealth does not make Donald Trump any better than the, than the poorest man in this church house. 
And if you're raising your family for God and serving the Lord and doing what God's called you to do in life, you know, you're just as important or not, or maybe more important. And I want to encourage you tonight, do not relish in materialism. As again, it's like if we don't have our boats and our four-wheelers and our side-by-sides and, uh, and our four-wheel drive trucks and all this stuff, and if we don't have the land and we don't have the cattle and we don't have the, this, that, and the other and all that stuff, we're somehow or another made to think we're less than other people. And that's not true. Can I just be honest with you? The majority of people that get in the ministry really forfeit their opportunity to make a bunch of money. If you're going to serve God, you you kind of forfeit your, there's a lot of things maybe you could have done otherwise that you can't. Uh, The idea of a man right now is like him materialistic, the the manhood in America. When I was growing up, uh, your TV set there and they would advertise uh, maybe uh, Bud Light and they'd have, be sitting at the bar and they, you know, this guy's sitting there drinking his Bud Light or his Coors beer, whatever it is. And there'd be three or four, you know, women hanging on him, you know, and a whole picture was that if you're a man, you will drink beer at the bar, you'll be sitting at the bar and women will be all around. You. That's that's what makes you a man because the man a, a boy's concept of being a man is you know do the women like me? Okay, so I got to drink beer and be a you know. But right now it's just like the concept of manhood is a Bud Light in your can at a Bacardi ball game. I'm going to tell you something right now. That's not manhood. That is not manhood. And so I just want to encourage you tonight in this that that possessions and prosperity and materialism, and feasting and fun and pleasure is not a measure of manhood. You're not less of a man if you don't have the money to take your family on a three-week vacation. You're not less of a man if you have to tell your wife and kids, listen, we're just going to have to go down here to Creek and enjoy ourselves because we don't have money to take a trip. You're not less of a man. In fact, that might be the best thing ever happened. A lot of these kids, have, they've had so much fun and so much this and so much everything. By the time they get to be 18, there's nothing left for them to have fun with. They're burned out. They've already experienced everything. And sometimes the simplest things, just a fishing pole down the pond. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I, in the past, Karen and I have taken our grandchildren on hikes, maybe from through the woods, clear over to me, maybe a couple of miles, three miles across through to one of the other play, kids' places. And those kids have more fun. You know, I mean, guess how much it cost us to take a bunch of grandkids through the woods from our house to somebody else's house. Guess how much it cost us? A bologna sandwich, maybe. I don't know. Pack of peanuts or something to pop. I don't know. They'd pack their lunch with them, put their backpacks on. Oh, we explore through the woods, you know. But am I going to, if I had the money, I wouldn't take them all to Disneyland. I wouldn't. And so I'm just going to say one of his basic problems was the same problem that American manhood has. And that's that our, my, my, I, they relish in materialism. I want to say something to you. If you're driving your old pickup truck, you're just as good a man as the man that's driving a brand new $100,000 pickup truck. I can't believe, I wouldn't spend, don't get mad at me. Please don't get mad at me. But I ain't spending no $70,000 on a stupid pickup truck. I'll wait till you use it up and you, you're going to pay the high price. I'll buy it used after you're done with it. <laughs> right? Amen. You know, I'm just saying it doesn't make you more of a man to kill a 12-point buck than it does the guy who killed a button. Amen. (laughs) The button is more tender anyway. (laughs) You know, I'm just saying if we're not careful, our boys are growing up with this concept that I've got to have this and do this and accomplish this and be this and this or I'm not a man. And just the opposite is true. Number two, he relinquished spiritual leadership. This is critical. Number two, he's relinquished his spiritual leadership. This man was not leading his home in the things of God. I want to, I'm going to try to bear down on something a little more as we move along here in the next few months. And that is, I want to challenge you and encourage you. I'm not going to beat on you about it, but I'm going to challenge you. Are you reading your Bible with your family? I appreciate you bringing your family to church. I really do. I am so grateful for the faithfulness that fathers in this church have showing up, wife and children, you bring it to But I'm going to tell you something. Church will never replace you having family devotions with your children. You and your wife just, and your kids reading a chapter or four or five verses. I'm, I'm going to say this to you. The last thing your kids need is, I hate to say this, they get enough preaching from me. Just be honest with you. Just being honest with you, what they need is a shepherd nurturing in the home of a man who just reads the Bible, 
will pray with them, spend five, ten minutes a day with them. But putting God first in their life, whether it be morning or maybe at night. I, I had a young man tell me one time, he said, Reggie, you're talking about precious memories. He said, Reggie, his, his dad died here a couple, three years ago. He said, the greatest thing that I love about my dad was not one night in my life do I remember that he did not come up to my bedroom, sit down on the side of my bed and have prayer with me before I went to sleep. That's what counted to him after he was grown and had grandkids himself. So I want to challenge us tonight. Karen and I have done better in the last few years. We, uh, in the morning, try to have a time when we read the Bible. Read a, 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 but, you know, we've got more time now. I'm not going to lie to you. If you're milking cows at 5 o'clock in the morning and the kids has got to get in school and this kind of thing like that, you know, something's got to happen. But I would say this to you, that your, your chores and your work is not more important than you having spiritual leadership in your home. And the, one, the thing that I appreciate um, uh, when I was growing up, most of the time when I was growing up, my dad would read either the Bible or he had a Bible storybook that he would read. And then we, we'd read that before we went to bed. And I've, I've actually, you know, just to be honest with you, when I was a kid, I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't want to do it, Brother Lutz. And I'd try to sneak off to bed. Sorry, just telling you the truth. I've had my mom and dad call us boys back. Down, boys, you need to come downstairs. We need to have prayer. Shucks, I didn't get away. I say that because I understand, you know, you may, not, you may think it's boring. Do be, I think it's a sin to bore people, but I'm just saying this. Dads, don't yield up spiritually. When I was growing up, and, and, and right now across this country, there's a lot of church houses that are dead. They're empty. And when I say dead, they're empty. They close the door on them. But if you go, and I would go preach, preach, used to preach a lot of revivals. Danny can confirm this. You go into these revivals, and you know what's there? A lot of elderly ladies. And I'll tell you what else won't be there, and that's a bunch of kids. And the kids are not there because their dads weren't there. And the elderly ladies kept the door open to the church, and their dads wouldn't go with them. And I'm telling you something. It's important to... Be able, uh, here's something you should strive so hard for. Try to get it to where you and your children can talk to each other on a spiritual level about spiritual things. That there's, a, there's an openness there where you can, they can say, Dad, can I talk to you about something? Have an openness. Son, how you doing? Or pray together. I tell you, praying together is one of the most precious things you can possibly do is pray together. But again, don't make it a great big church service, but just make it part and parcel of what your life is. So I want to encourage you, don't give up. American men have relinquished spiritual leadership. I, I saw uh, the picture today of a church, and it's, I'm, I'm not trying to be condemning, but I'm going to tell the church something, and I mean this. I saw a picture today of a church where they uh, had the men, Father's Day, had them come up in front of the church, one to honor the fathers. Only one man in about 15 men was wearing jeans. The rest of them had shorts on. Some of them wearing their little Rick Warren Hawaiian shirts. That's where they got that from. He even told all these preachers how to dress. Wear a pair of shorts, wear a Hawaiian shirt, casual. I want to tell you this. I really wasn't planning on it. We've got a lot of visitors coming in this church. I am so thankful. I'm very grateful. And I want us to be kind and gracious and good to them. But we do not let, need to let this church become casual. Okay. And we're going to do that by example, not by jumping on somebody, not by smarting off to somebody or making some cutting remark to them, but by loving example that we need to respect the Lord in his house and so forth. OK, and I'm going to tell you something else. I wouldn't wear something to the house in the same in the sense I wouldn't wear a church. OK, now I'm not I'm talking about. But when I was growing up, there was a culture of churches for women and children. Not for men, and it's and it's killed this country. You, you take the you you take the kids and go on church. You go to a Bible school, all women, all women teaching the classes. Come to our Christian academy. Danny will be the Danny is t- taking over and shepherd this school. What we might call principal and administrative duties. 
for the last four or five, I mean, I've had a little bit of time, but most of you can't find a man in the country to take, take care of a Christian school. Relinquishing. You tell me something. What more important work for this nation is there for a man to do than to try to turn the hearts of young people to Christ and to the Word of God? It's a relinquishing of manhood and spiritual leadership, and that's what that man did. And I'm going to tell you why. I want to show you something. That's why she couldn't go to him and say, Nabal, we're in trouble. Honey, you can't do that. You can't treat this way. You can't do what we're doing. She didn't even talk to him. She didn't even have the ability to communicate with her own husband. You're failing our home spiritually. I wonder tonight the truth was said about you and I. If your wife really cried out in her heart to you and to me, honey, you're not leading. You're not leading. You're not praying with our children. You're not reading the Bible with our children. You're not discussing spiritual things. Honey, you make us a living and I appreciate it so much. Here was a, this, this was the problem. By the way, did Eventually, this is what got Israel, was the relinquishing of spiritual duties by the men. That was it. It's what's going to get America. Let me give you a little something. When a boy is raised under female domination, you'll be fortunate if he don't turn out to be a queer. That's right. That's why we've got queers all over America right now, because spiritual manhood was relinquished in our culture. Manhood was exemplified as a beer-drinking thug. And any man who lived for Christ was looked at maybe possibly as sissy or he wasn't quite a man. You go to church. And these are, you know, this is Father's Day. It's just a very important thing. And I, and I just want to encourage you, do not relinquish. That doesn't mean you're some kind of big boss and that kind of thing, but you just lead in your family in the ways of God. And by the way, you know what that means? Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm very well aware that when your kids grow up and they get out of the house, yeah, they're going to go where they want to, wear where they want to, and act like they want to, and I guess listen what they want to and do what they stink and want to. But when they're under your home, they'll at least know there's a standard. And you're not going to watch that. You're not going to look at that. And you're not, you know, and you don't have to be mean about it. But just say, say, you know what? I'm not going to be a hypocrite with you, honey. I'm not going to be a hypocrite with you, son. Relinquishing spiritual leadership, it cost him everything. And I want to say tonight, with all my heart, the thing I've realized years ago, that if we don't have strong men in this church, we're shot. And I said, God, give me men who love you, who love their wives, who love their children. We'll have something. And we do. And that's why I challenge. And I just, my, one of my whole deals is, is, is not about having, it's about seeing, and it doesn't mean I don't love the ladies, don't appreciate the young people, but if we don't have fathers who are going to bring their families and nurture this thing and sustain this thing and undergird this thing, all my preaching ain't going to mount to hill of beans. The fact that you load your kids up and they don't ask you whether they're coming to church or not <laughs> says a whole lot, amen? Number three, in verse number 10, he, uh, he refused to recognize the king. You may be a man tonight and you listen to me and you're not saved. I'm going to tell you one of the worst mistakes you'll ever make is to refuse to recognize the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, who is David? That's the attitude of American men right now. I tell you, um, this country is full of men who are either agnostic, uh, atheistic, uh, unbelieving, skeptic, scoff about God and his word. They're intellectual. They think they're intellectual. And... um, uh, they refuse to recognize that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he would not recognize David as the King of that. Did you know right now that what was going on in that country was everybody knew that Samuel had anointed him to be King and he was King in God's sight, whether they liked it or not, although he was not sitting on the throne. And they knew that he refused to recognize David as King. Now, Jesus may not be here in person, but I want to ask you, have you recognized Jesus Christ as king? I want to give you something. Every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Isn't it amazing? Somehow those men, we're so cocky and arrogant. Well, we ain't going to bow to nobody. I'm going to tell you something. This old boy at 28 years of old made up his mind. I'm going to believe the Bible. Jesus Christ is either God Almighty or he ain't nobody. And I believed he is God. And I said, if he is, I am to worship him. I worship him. I'm on my knees right now in front of everybody. When I was 22, you couldn't have got to do that. At the point of a gun, you couldn't have hardly got me to do what I'm doing right now. But there came a time when I recognized who he really is. He is the creator. He's the redeemer. He's the sustainer. He is God Almighty. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And I am created for his glory. I'm not created for my own fun and enjoyment. I'm created for his glory. And the day you recognize, I'm going to tell you something. We'll go to church and talk about Jesus and never know him. Faint careful. I'm telling you something. You need to recognize the king for who he is. And the fact that because he wouldn't, it ruined him. He's a fool. And a man's a fool that will not recognize Jesus Christ as the king of kings, Lord of lords, and worthy of your worship. And by the way, going back to this deal about home life and spiritual leadership, one of the greatest things your children can comprehend and understand is my dad worships someone. And it's not this farm. And it's not his money. And it's not even his religious group. He worships a person by the name of Jesus Christ, the Christ of the Bible. And if they can see that, you see this thing of recognizing the king feeds itself into your family. He refused to recognize him. That's in verse number 10. Number four, he rejected the messengers. Over the years, not a lot of times, but several times over the years, that preacher I mean, I've, I've literally been sitting in my own re- relatives' homes and they make cocky, snotty remakes, remarks about preachers. That's a nice thing to sit and listen to. I'm one of them. But I want to tell you something. That's not smart. I don't have a good attitude. I, I don't appreciate what a lot of preachers are doing in America. There's a lot of preachers, that have a, they're apostate. They've left the word of God. They don't believe God. They're, fault, they're wounds and fault. I understand all that. But I'm going to tell you something. There's no perfect preacher. And they, they, they rejected the messengers. Those messengers came down and God sends messengers into your life. You don't want to, I mean, if God sends somebody in your life, don't spurn them away. God don't look kindly upon that. God will judge you for that. And God's trying to send messengers in your life, whether that is a person or events or circumstances in your life that are, are pointing you to the Lord and causing you to see or recognize your need of Christ. Don't spurn a messenger from God. He just said, I don't need you guys. Get out of here. Um, appreciate the messengers. I, I, I could go on. Look at verse number 10 there. David answered, who is David? And who's the son of David? Many servants. He, didn't, he just spurned him. He just rejected the messengers from God. I want to tell you something. <clears throat> the person that puts their hand on your shoulder and says, have you ever thought much about where you're going to spend eternity? I want you to know I'm praying for you and I love you. <clears throat> I get so sick of these people who talk. I constantly get hit with this stuff. Oh, you preach hate and you don't love. That's a lie from hell. Don't tell me you love me if you don't care about my soul. Number five, he railed on the king's messengers. And that's kind of the same thing as rejected there. He had a bad attitude. You know what it says up there in verse 14? One of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master. He railed on them. You know, God's telling you something. He did not, watch this, he did not just reject the messengers. He railed on them. That means he hollered and went on crazy at them. Don't be real careful about that. Don't reject and don't rail on God's messengers. And again, it might be a person. It might be, but if God's trying to reach you, you're listening online, you're sitting in this building tonight, and God's trying to reach you, third, very, don't, don't reject that. Don't rail on that. And don't, don't just throw that off. That's, that's not a light thing. You're going to get yourself in big trouble. And, and by the way, used to, and I, when I was a boy, and I would be in lost circles, there was almost like a hatred for preachers. And I'll be honest with you, I was one of them. I mean, I didn't hate them, but I still had no respect for them. You know, be careful about that. What, where would America be without preachers? I'm so thrilled tonight that we've got preachers in this church down in Florida tonight, right now, having a revival down there in that tent. You know what, America, it's not going to be solved by an election. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you how we're going to, if we're going to affect this country, it's going to be by winning people to Christ. How, how, do you get a, how do you get a liberal to vote for somebody who's against abortion? By con- getting them converted to Jesus Christ. Just that simple. Yeah. But you're not going to do it with intellectual arguments. 
you've got to get them converted. And the most powerful force in this country is men and women and people who would carry the gospel to people. However we can. That's why in this church, I want to get the gospel to everybody we can, every way we can, every time we can. Because how people are going to vote different is because they get their hearts changed. Amen. You can get a person there. By the way, this is happening across America. A lot of places. You can get somebody who would, who would have voted for Joe Biden. If you get him saved, he will flip and vote for somebody for Ron DeSantis. <laughs> anyway, what? <laughs> that old hillbilly meanness coming out of me. He, he called him a fool, number six, because he requited evil for good. Look at verse number 15. Uh, he said, the men were very good to us and uh, they were not hurt. Neither missed us anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us. God had been good to Nabal. Can I tell you dads that are unsaved and you uh, don't have any time for God. Has God given you a way to feed your family? Amen. Has God been good to your family? Yeah. Sure he has. The fact that you're alive and, you know, that you have opportunities and you're able to work and make a living. God's been good to you. He requited David evil for good. Don't that you want to get in trouble with God, require anybody evil for good. That you read that in your Bible. That's a biblical principle. You don't ever turn somebody has been good to you. Turn around, and be evil back to them. You'll get yourself in trouble. You do that with God. You're in triple trouble. <clears throat> you don't require evil for good in verse number 21. It said there, David had said, surely in vain have I kept all this fellow hath the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all the pertanthin, for he hath requited me evil for good. You don't do that. And God's been good to me. I'm going to tell you something. God's been good to this preacher, and I don't need to be requiting him evil for good. And God was good to me before I ever got saved. Amen. I could have been in hell. Amen. I mean, I could have been in hell. God was good to me. There's no appreciation for God's goodness and nobody gives God the glory for, for the blessings of their life. And number seven, he did, and along with that, he didn't have any realization where his blessings was coming from. Look at verse number 11. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I've killed for my shears? His whole life is about me. My flesh, my bread, my water. That wasn't his water. Where do you think he is? He never made a, he never made a thimble full of water in his life. Like Nebuchadnezzar, my kingdom and my this and my that and everything. And that's just seem like the way American men are right now. Yeah. You know, my this and my that and me this and my that. And it's this attitude and it's killing us in America. And uh, it, anyway, then number eight, he reaped divine judgment. And this is what's going to happen. And we're reaping it. Now, I want to throw something at you tonight. This really bothers me. I'm a grandpa. I played Joe like I was Joe Biden over here a while ago. I fell. Off my bicycle. <laughs> and I hit that thing, and these shoes are new, and it's slick on the bottom, and I hit that, that steel rail, and I went just like that. But when you get where I'm at in life, and some of you here are there, who was he a descendant of? Caleb. Who was Caleb? Caleb was one of the two spies out of the 12 that believed God. And it was able to enter the promised land when everybody else died. Only two men, Joshua and Caleb, were able to enter into the promised land. And Caleb was such a man of God that at his age, which, what, how old was he at that time? 80 some? 85? He come in there and he saw that mountain. Huh? And he said, give me that mountain. And he didn't say, you go up and fight and get it for me. I'll, I'll go up and fight and I'll get it. Just let, me, just let me have that mountain. You let me take it, I'll take it. Caleb's one of the most masculine, biblically-minded men you'll ever read about in the Bible. Is Caleb not the one, it was, was it his daughters that came down there with the nether springs and so forth? Man, you read the wisdom of that man when he's dealing with his daughters. I mean, everything about this guy was, I mean... He said, listen, when he, on the report, the other guy said, oh, we're, you know, we're like grasshoppers. And he said, man, we're well able to take the land. If God told us we can take it, we can take it. He's a man of faith. He's a man of vision. He, he was that spiritual. But, and here, two or three generations, we've got this bojo sitting around drinking beer, partying, bragging about how he got everything. No, he didn't. His grandpa won that mountain. 
His grandpa gave him that ranch probably. He didn't do nothing except drink beer and live off his, his rich life. He makes me sick. It can happen to me and you. Now I want to tell some of you young people something here in this church house. You mess around and you'll throw your whole heritage away. You don't have a clue what you got. 18 million kids tonight in America to 24 million don't even have a dad in their house. And you got a daddy that loves you, got a roof over your head and food for you to eat, goes out every day and works for you, got a mom and your mom and dad loves each other in the house there. And you're sitting here in church, I can't wait till I get old enough to get out of this church. I'll need to make you rules. You make me sick. I don't feel a bit sorry for you. Your daddy ought to give you a whooping every night for a week before you go to bed. Amen. You make me sick. I'm just going to be honest with you. But I want to say this to you young people. What I'm seeing up here, and you're getting up singing, and you're, nobody's forcing you to get up here and sing, and you're having a great time, Lord. Yeah. Bless your heart. I'm for, I'm for you a thousand percent. I'm about to do anything for you kids. When I see that kind of attitude, I'm about doing that. I say, what do you kids want? What are you going to do? Well, don't tell me you want to go to Disneyland. I ain't doing that. <clears throat> but here's what bothers me about this whole story. This man had lost all of his spiritual heritage. From a great man of God in the Bible, and he lost it all. He lay there 10 days. The Bible says like a stone, his heart, di- heart died thinning. I want to ask you something. When he's laying there, how much, what, what's his sheep mount to him? What does land mount to? All the wealth he'd accumulated, all the power he had, nothing. And then he dies. And his wife's with another man. <laughs> you listen to me? Now, I'm preaching a little bit different tonight. I'm preaching this church. I'm preaching me my family, your family, we've preached to everybody here. Do not ever relinquish your spiritual heritage. You daddies, I don't think it's Caleb's. There comes a point when it's not your dad's fault no longer. There comes a point when it's not your granddad's fault no longer. There comes a time. What are you going to do with your faith? What kind of dad are you going to be? What kind of grandpa are you going to be? And will your children have convictions and will they know what the Bible really says? And what the Bible, because I'm going to tell you right now, a pastor this week got a hold of me. This sickened me. He said, Reggie, I'm constantly now dealing with families coming in and saying, well, our granddaughter, she's turned out to be a lesbian. Our grandson, he's turned out, says he's gay. And he said, I'm dealing with this constantly. Men, Kids whose grandpas were preachers and deacons and men of God and soul winners. You listening? I'm going to tell you something tonight. You better not. You better be careful. You'll be a Nabal. You better get it on a stick. You better start taking this thing seriously. I don't mean not having fun. It may mean me having more joy in your home than you've ever had. Tonight, what I'm going to ask you is this. I'm going to ask you to do something with this message. I'm not here to browbeat you. I fail God every day. Brother Justin, I tell you what, I, I just, I'm like, Lord, how can I expect these men and these families to do, and I fail God so much? But at the same time, I still need to challenge myself. I'm going to ask you tonight, and I'm not going to ask you whether you do or don't, but I'm going to ask you tonight, are you having any kind of Bible reading with your wife and your children and just pray with them. I'm not asking you to preach a message to them. I'm just asking you to take a verse. Kids, here's a verse I read or wherever, and you read it. Maybe talk about it a little bit. Proverbs is wonderful to do that. And you say, well, I just don't, and my schedule's tough, and I got to go, and the kids are still sleeping. It's this and that. I'm going to tell you, there'll always be something. There'll always be something. But I wonder how many men in this church house tonight would just say, you know what, Reggie, I'm kind of like you. I don't do everything like I ought to, and I fail a lot. But you know what I realize? I need to start having prayer with my family. It needs to become more than just church. And I'm going to to warn some of you young parents. These kids are going to be teenagers so fast, make your head swim. 
and they're going to move into adolescence, and I'm telling you something, it's going to be a whole different ballgame. And, and I'm telling you, you, you're going to need all the spiritual strength poured into them you can possibly get. And I'm not talking about super spiritual, I'm not talking about some big deal, I'm just in the quietness of your life right now tonight. I'm pretty big on public commitments. They kind of tie you to the horn. They kind of say, you know what, I, I said, I, I, I asked God for grace in this area. If you tonight are interested, say, you know what, I want to have devotions with my wife and my children. I want to be more than church on Sunday. Oh, I'm hoping somehow or another, ask God that I might be able for my kids to know that my faith is the most important thing in our lives. And I want to be the spiritual leader of her home. I'm not nobody. I'm not trying to be a big shot. Not trying nothing like that. But I want to have Bible reading and prayer with my family. That's what they're going to remember probably when the show's over. The reality of your personal life with God. And if that be the case tonight, I'm going to invite you just a little bit. I'm going to stand. I'm going to invite you just to come. And you might want to grab your wife's hand. You're going to need her. You're going to need her to remind you, honey. We, we probably ought to pray, hadn't we? She's going to see you that you're bothered. How many men's ever been here? You're bothered. You're busy. She senses it. Or maybe you're frustrated. You're just like, you realize you've messed up. I'm, I'm a hypocrite. I ain't going to be a hypocrite and have family. I'm going to tell you something. If you wait till you live right to have family devotions, you'll never have family devotions. If I waited till I lived perfectly to preach, I'd never preach. But you know what you do need? I, I made it. <clears throat> I don't know why I did this. I guess it's the Lord just give me grace. But my mother-in-law gave me a sheep uh, skin years and years ago. And uh, she gave me this sheep skin. And, and I just immediately thought of Sheffy. And how he would take this sheep skin off his horse and put it on the ground and pray on it. And so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that sheepskin and I put it right beside my bed and I told the Lord, I said, God, you be in my helper. Every night before I go to bed, I'll kneel and pray. And there is lots of nights I don't feel like kneeling. Not because I don't love the Lord, but I just let, Lord, I've been so not near you today and I just, I don't know. And I'll be honest with you, I've gotten in bed, and it's like the Holy Spirit said, but Reggie, didn't you promise me? And I'd say, Lord, yeah. And I've climbed out of bed many a night and got on my knees and said, Lord, I really don't know even how to pray. I just want to tell you I love you. I need your help. I need your grace. And I really don't have much else to say. And I just want to encourage you. Now, I'm not trying to talk down to you. I'm not trying to talk nothing. I'm just telling you my personal experience that Men, we sure do need to maintain our spiritual leadership in our homes and our families. And one of the ways to do that is a commitment to God that I will pray with my wife. And my wife, she has to sometimes say, Reggie, you ready to read? <laughs> and she's nice about it. And I need that. So there's some mornings I get up and I've got my brain out here and, and, and you want, but Reggie, are you ready to read? And I'll go, yeah, let's read. You know, it's a special time. We'll have prayer. One of us will pray after we've read. And I've got, got a notion, Brother Jones, that when, I, when I'm 103, that I'll look back and say, those were good days when Karen and I read our Bibles together and had prayer. Let's bow our heads. The Lord, Father, we thank you tonight for the accounts of Scripture that you've given. And Lord, I read about this man Nabal. And my soul draws back. I don't want to be like him, Lord. I don't know, Lord, where he got away from it. I don't know where he got away from Caleb's example and Caleb's faith, Caleb's courage, Caleb's commitment. I don't know where he got away from it. And I don't know exactly why other than, Lord, maybe just the materialism and the pursuit of being successful and so forth and having the security of materialism, maybe it... Uh, Got him. But Lord, tonight I don't want to be like Caleb. 
but I need your help. And I pray, God, tonight that you would put in the hearts of the men of this church just to spend time with their wives and their children a little bit every day, sometime schedule it in. And I just pray, God, that you'd do that in our lives tonight. For your glory's sake and for the sake of our coming generations. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And I'm going to invite you men that would want to come just to step out, get up out of your seat and come and, <clears throat> and say, Lord, I just want to make a commitment to pray with my family. I realize my need of you. Fellas, we, we can't live without him. We can't. And I want to say this to you. If you fail, you, you start over again the next day. Start over again the next day. I want to say something to the young men here. Maybe you're not married, but someday you will be. You know, it would be a good time right now to commit your mother that when God gives you that wife, you'll be a man that prays with her. Maybe you'd want to come tonight and make that commitment. And say, you know what, Lord? Help me to be preparing myself just now even to be a father, to be a husband that will lead in the ways of God. Would you come? God honors commitments. There'd be a lot of marriages saved and a lot of sweetness in the home if a dad knew how to grab his wife's hand and say, honey, let's pray about this matter together. You say, Reggie, why does it seem hard for you to preach just because I struggle with it, men? I struggle with it. Satan will fight a man on this worse than coming to church, I promise you. It's going to be a lot easier for you to come to church than it is for you to do what you're talking about tonight. Anyone else tonight want to come? Father in heaven, you've been so good to me as a pastor to send men who've been such a help to me, such a help to this church, and I pray, Lord, and I know help to your cause. But, Lord, we're honestly no better men than what we are at the house. And, Lord, the cry of my heart tonight is that you would, even though my kids are grown up and gone, that I would be caring what I need to be and what I need for myself. And that spend time with you and her in the word and in prayer. And I pray, Lord, for these men that have come tonight. Oh, God, God of glory, God of grace, give them grace, Lord, and help their wives to help them because they're going to need it. Help their wives to gently remind them when they're battling about it and fighting about it and maybe been so busy they forgot about it. I pray God help the wives to help them. And Lord, I pray for these men that there'll be fruit come from this for the next generation. I pray, Lord, that sons and daughters will be able to look back and see a genuine faith that it wasn't just going to church on Sunday. It was a real vital faith practiced in our home. We worship God in our house. We worship God as our family. Lord, I pray that you'd bless these men tonight they make these holy commitments to you. Lord, we just want to tell you we need you. I thank you, Lord, for my daddy. And Lord, I tell you, I didn't know what I had. I honestly did not know what I had. But I pray, Lord, that you help me in some measure, some way, to be a good and a godly influence on my descendants. Forgive me, Lord, of my failure, my stupidity, my fleshliness, my selfishness for not being a servant to my family as I should be. And just do a work in us, Lord, that we cannot do in ourselves by the power of your spirit and the truth of your word. We love you, Lord. And I just want to tell you again, thank you for these men. You helped me to be a good servant to them, to be a blessing to them and a help to them, Lord, in their efforts to lead their families in the ways of God. 
It's in the precious and holy name of our Savior we pray. Amen.